Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is uh, the living, breathing word of God and that it ministers to our hearts today. Even things that are written thousands of years ago, Lord, they, they still speak to each person in this room tonight. And I pray, Father God, that we would have ears to hear, that we'd be receptive to your word. And Father, that it would touch us and transform our lives. It wouldn't just be us studying a book, but Lord, that we would hear from Almighty God, that you would be our teacher that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Tonight in your bulletin, or hopefully somebody handed you one of these, we've been going through the tabernacle, and uh, we're going to be continuing to go through it because of the last seven or eight weeks, we've been looking at, at God giving direction to Moses. And he's basically, Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai, and the Lord is instructing him on how they're to build the tabernacle. We're going to see in, in a few chapters exactly how the tabernacle is put together. And tonight I just want to review this just for a moment, and then we'll get into chapter 31. And I want to go back to Exodus, you, you stay where you're at. I'm going to go to Exodus 24, I just want to read a couple verses to you. And this is uh, Exodus 24. Verses 12 through 18, and here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to his elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has any difficulty, let him go to them. Remember that Aaron and Hur are left behind. And we're going to see next week just how well those guys do while uh, Moses is up on the mountain. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cl cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. Now, if you want, I'm bringing you back to this because all the stu studying we've done from chapter 24 through chapter 30 is a 40-day period while Moses is up on top of the mountain. And remember that when he went up, there was a huge earthquake. There was just incredible lights in the sky. God moved mightily, and there was no doubt that Moses was up talking to God. And he's going to be there for 40 days. And during that time, they're waiting down at the bottom of Mount Sinai. All the, the people have been delivered out of bondage. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They've been fed from manna from the sky. God's been providing for them. And they're out there underneath this mountain, and they're waiting for Moses to come back to hear what God is going to minister to him. And so all the things we've been looking at, all these instructions that Moses has been getting, he's going to be bringing down the mountain when we get to the chapter next week. And so I just want to bring a refresher of what he's told them so far. In chapter 25, he teaches them about the offerings for the sanctuary. And, and they're supposed to take the spoils of Egypt. Remember that? They, when they came out of Egypt, they told them to take everything they had. And they took the gold and they took everything with them. And then when they came out, they got to this place and, and the Lord's going to command them that they should give out of the abundance of what God has blessed them with. And that's a lesson for us. We take what God has blessed us with from the world and we use it for His kingdom. And we see it happening in chapter 25. We then see the instructions for the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, and the golden lampstand. That's on the back of your flyer that you've got here. And just again, I'm not going to go into detail because if you want, you can grab the tapes. We went into detail on all of them. But remember again that the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy of Holies is where God's glory dwelt. Then in Exodus 26, we, taught, we saw the tabernacle, and remember that all the things that go into the tabernacle, again, are a picture of Christ. The ark is a picture of Christ, the lampstand, Jesus is the light of the world, the ark itself, we talked about the fact that it had the manna, and Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments, all of which point to Jesus Christ, and we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. Then we went to the garments of the priesthood, or the altar burnt offering, and the garments of the priesthood, remember, even the garments themselves were a picture of Christ. Remember the 12 jewels representing the 12 tribes, and how God a picture of uh, the priest is a picture of Jesus Christ ministering to his people. Then we saw in chapter 29 them consecrating Aaron and his sons. We saw the daily offering. And then last week we looked at the altar of incense, the bronze laver, and then the anointing oil and the incense. Now, I encourage you, if you're just coming here for the first time, the tapes are free. Help yourself. Go back and just listen because it's such a clear picture of Jesus Christ. You can't help but see him. In the, temp, in the tabernacle. You know, last week we looked at the altar of incense, the thing that was closest to that holy place. And remember how we talked about the fact that the thing that draws us closest to God is prayer. It's having a prayer life. And it's not, not by any 
chance or circumstance that the altar of incense was right there next to that most holy place. As they lit lit incense unto the Lord, it was prayers going up into the presence of Almighty God. So that brings us to tonight. He's gone through and he's, he's been shared with God. The, God has shared directly with Moses. I want you to go down and instruct my people. I want you to tell them that these are the things that they are to make. But tonight, I want you to see something different. And it's something that I believe applies to every single one of us. Because he finished last week by looking at the anointing oil and the incense. And remember, anointing or oil is a representation of what in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Whenever you see oil in the Bible... Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit. And remember they anointed the priest with oil. And I believe that quite often that, you know, when you see that anointing, we we have these things that we automatically think of, and I want to talk about that in a moment. But it signifies the need for being anointed by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. The Bible says without Him we can do nothing. I don't care how gifted you are, I don't care how talented you are, I don't care how charismatic you are, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing for the kingdom of God. You can make a lot of noise, you can look really good doing it, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it will bear no fruit. And so we saw last week that he brought the priests in and they put the oil upon them, a representation again of the Holy Spirit being upon them. Now what does a priest do? A priest does two things. He represents God to man and he represents man to God. A priest would go and intercede with God on behalf of men and then he would come and teach men on behalf of God. And that's what a priest was called to do. Not unlike a pastor is called to do today, to intercede on behalf of his people. We also saw the incense, uh, the key element of the priestly ministry. And what was the incense made out of? Last week we saw that it was made out of salt and that it was made out of a lot of sweet perfumes. But what's interesting to me is it said it was made out of salt. And salt does what? It adds flavor and it purifies. And you know what? That's what incense does to your walk. As you're praying, it purifies your walk. It makes you more and more like our Savior as you spend more and more time in His presence. And we also see that they took this, this incense and they beat it fine and then they offered it to the Lord. And we've talked about the fact repeatedly that a man is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. That we need to be broken. There must be less of us so that there might be more of Him. And so that brings us tonight to the, again, that anointing oil is going to go from being anointed to, on, on the priest to being anointed on the craftsmen and these artisans who are going to literally create all the things that God had commanded that Moses create in the tabernacle. And it's interesting to me that the anointing not only came to the priest, but it's also going to come to those who work with their hands. And I think this is something that we don't really fully understand in the church today, and hopefully when you walk out of here tonight, that will have changed. So we often identify gifting or calling with what we think of as spiritual ministries. You know, teaching of the Bible, leading worship, counseling. You may hear your favorite Bible teacher on the radio, or you may go somewhere and hear somebody teach, and you go, oh man, God's got His hand on that guy. You know, you hear worship, or you hear a song on the radio, and it just blesses you, and you go, wow, Holy Spirit's got His hand on that person. You know, you go and you talk to somebody, and you're struggling in your walk, and they share something with you from the Word of God, and it's just, bam, that's it, there it is, that's the answer, and you go, wow. God's really got His hand on that person. And so often we equate spiritual gifts only with the things that we see, you know, that are open and that, that, you know, man, God's got His hand on that person and wow, that's incredible. But I want to tell you something tonight, and I want you to see this very clearly, that anointing is not just for those who are doing the spiritual ministry, but also for those who are doing what I call practical ministry. So tonight I entitled the message, Anointing for Practical Ministry. And you know what? There's so many of you guys that are already doing this, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. So we're going to look at anointing for practical ministry, and then we're going to look at the source of where that anointing comes from. But let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 31. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name... Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, out of the tribe of Judah. Now I love this. It says, I have called by name. Now those of you who were here a few weeks ago, who's called in this room? Raise your hand. If you're a Christian, you're called. God saved you not to be a pew potato. Amen? He didn't save you so you could just be the biggest, fattest sheep, going to church every week, and just get as fat as you can. Remember that the Dead Sea is dead because it has all inlets and no outlets. And there's a lot of dead Christians who go to church, and they got every CD made, and they got all the commentaries, and they listen to Christian radio, and they do nothing for the kingdom of God. And that's not what God's called us to be. He has called every one of us. Remember that calling came in the Old Testament by physical birth, 
And calling comes today by what? Spiritual birth. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, rebirth, when we're born again, we're called. So if you've been born again, you've been called, God wants to use you. And it says here, he called him by name, and I love that. That means he said, at some point in your life, he said, you know, Mike, Dave, Ken, Randy. He called you, and he called you to something. He called you to salvation, and then he called you to ministry. And so he calls this man, and his name is Belazel. Now it's interesting to me that his name means, and I love looking up the meanings of names in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite things. And his name means in the shadow of God. And I like that a lot. I'll tell you what, that's what we all ought to be, in the shadow of God. And, what, and when I thought about the shadow of God, I thought, that's somebody that's so near to God that they're in his shadow, and they're so near to God that they don't touch his glory. What I mean by that is that we're overshadowed by him when we do ministry. People only see the Savior, they don't see us, but we're so close to him that we're, his shadow's cast upon us. I thought, man, that's an awesome thing, in the shadow of God. Belazel. And so he calls him by name, and he calls him to ministry. And look what it says here. And I have filled him, verse 3, with the Holy Spirit. So not only does he call him, but he fills him with the Holy Spirit. Now, for us to be used by God, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because without him, we can do nothing. Unless we're empowered by him, strengthened by him, called by him, directed by him, the ministry that we perform will be fruitless. And so he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what else it says. Filled with the Holy Spirit, with wisdom, filled with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. So the practical ministries of construction of the tabernacle, the furnishing, the instruments, the, the implements, and the priestly garments, he was called. Now look at verse 4 and 5. What was he called to do? To design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. So he was called to do practical things. Again, we think of calling, oh, that means I'm called to take my family and move to Africa and be a missionary. That's calling. I'm called to quit my job and sell all I have and, go, and become a full-time pastor. I'm called to be a worship leader. I'm called to do... But so often the calling is just to simply be obedient to the opportunity that God puts right in front of you. This man obviously was already gifted in doing these things, but now he's going to take it because he's been called by God and use it for God's glory. This guy was a construction worker, right? This guy was a gifted artisan, and he's going to be the foreman on the job of building the tabernacle. Called by God to be the foreman. Called by God. Awesome. And you know what? Here's the thing. The priest cannot go into the holy place unless somebody builds it. Amen? The priest can't do it. You know, we can't have church here. I can't get up and teach you guys the Bible if somebody doesn't set up the chairs and set up the sound system and come in here and turn on the heat and turn on the lights and all those kinds of things. Practical ministry comes with calling. And when people are obedient, then the church functions the way that it's supposed to. If everybody's a Bible teacher, we're in big trouble, Right? If everybody is, is called to do worship, then we'll all be singing all day long. That's great, but who's going to be the teacher? You know, if, we're not, if we need to have people who are, you know, we need an eye, we need an ear, we need a toe, we need every part of the body of Christ. And so these guys, he was called by God, and he's anointed by God specifically to do this work. Now, I want, I want to read something to you. This is out of the book of Acts. I don't want you to turn. I don't like to play Bible chase. It's very rare I do this, but I want to read something to you. Because I want you to see that the calling of doing practical ministry is every bit as important as any other calling that exists. And this is out of Acts chapter 6, and here's what it says. I'm reading the verse 7 verses, when the first deacons were called. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So there were people, Hellenists, they were converted Gentiles, and they become you know, followers of Judaism, and they said, you know, our women are not being taken care of because there's so many people now that we're getting overlooked and we're getting neglected. And so they came with a complaint, verse 2. Then the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom who may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. So how are the twelve apostles able to give themselves continually to prayer 
and the Word of God. There must be those who are called by God to do the practical ministry. Those who come and minister to the widows and do the, do the practical ministry of going down to the store and bringing food to that lady's house and going and picking somebody up who needs a ride to church. You know, the person who does the practical stuff. But notice that it says that these men must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And men of good reputation. It's not just, well, they got a strong back, have them set up chairs. It's filled with the Holy Spirit, called by God, and we're anointed even for that ministry. We might not think it's a ministry, but it is. And I want to make sure and make clear that you guys understand that. Now, what was the result of the faithfulness of these men? Let me read these last three verses. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of, the Holy, of, of faith in the Holy Spirit. Who was Stephen? Who remembers? What happened to Stephen? He was stoned to death. He was the first martyr. Think that guy was in love with the Lord? But notice that he was willing to do whatever he was called to do. Practical ministry. You know what? I'll know this for a fact. Every pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor I've ever met, the first ministry he was called to was doing something like cleaning or setting up chairs or whatever. And he was faithful in that. And when people used to come to me in youth group that wanted to get involved in leadership, I used to always say the same thing. Bro, show up and, man, set up some chairs. And when we got a, a trip, you could drive the kids and you'd find out someone's heart right away. If they were willing to do that, then that was calling. If all they wanted was to have their name and lights and be up in front and have everybody adore them, then they've missed it. And these guys, they were called, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were willing to serve. But look what happened because of their faithfulness. It said they called Stephen and Philip and Procurius and Nicomar, Tim, Timon, Parman, oh man, Nicholas, and a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and whom they prayed, and they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What happened when those guys were faithful? The church grew. What happened? People got saved. Why? Because somebody said, you know what? I'm called by God to show up early and set up the chairs. I'm called by God to show up and do those kinds of ministry, practical ministry things so that those who are called to do other things can be faithful in their calling. Sadly, many churches, you got 10% of the people doing everything. And the reality is that's not the case here. I'm blessed. I prayed, I've told you guys this before, I prayed from the day we got here when we had about five people, Lord, bring the servants first. And you guys showed up, so you must be them. Amen? And you know what? You guys have been. And I want to tell you how blessed I am. I praise God for those of you who have been called by God and have responded to obedience to serve Him in a practical way. I just wrote these down in two minutes. Setting up chairs, setting up the sound equipment, setting up the children's ministry, the bookstore, many who come early and set that up, the lending library, people who print and fold and hand out the bulletins, people that come and clean the church office, people that come and do the overheads for worship, people that give people rides to church, people that planted out in front so the place would look nice and the seven-day Adventists are excited by it. People that clean and set up the restrooms. People that handle the church finances. People that come early and do the coffee and the drinks and the snacks so the people hang out afterward and more ministry happens. People who do all the stuff for the Agape Feast. Takes a lot of people. People who duplicate and mail out tapes where the Word of God is being spread all over the United States. People who maintain our website where we're getting hits from all over the country. People who greet new people and make them feel welcome. People who minister in the nursery. These are practical things that are being done by you guys. And if you didn't do them, there would be people who could not come. If there was nobody in the nursery, then people couldn't come who had small kids and be ministered to. If people didn't send out the tapes, you know, we had a call just today, people listen to the radio program, and they call in and want a tape, and you send out the tapes to people. We got people that used to go to church here that have moved away, and people are ministering to them by taking time to do something very practical. But I believe that that is as high a calling as there is. Just being faithful to do what God has called you to do right where you're at. That's how the body of Christ works. And that's what these guys did. They were called by God, and the Lord said, this is what I want you to do. And they said, yes, Lord. God is looking for people just to respond. And I want to just say this. We, still, we do have a, a few current needs that I thought of. You know, I know there, there are needs for more people to come and set up on Sunday morning. Sometimes I come in here and one person's doing it all by themselves. You pray about it. I will never call you to do anything. I will never ask you to do anything. Because if I call you, I have to sustain you. If God calls you, He will sustain you. Amen? If I call you, then I've got to call you every week and make sure you woke up in time to get down here. And I don't want to do that, all right? I mean, but if God calls you, it'll be a get-to and not a have-to. I know there's always needs in children's ministry. I know there's needs in... Uh, my desire is that we be a praying church. There's a group that meets on Thursday night. You know what? Show up and pray with those folks. 
We want to see God do great things in Santa Cruz. Pray. And you know what? Other things. There might be things that God puts on your heart that are not happening here. Half the ministries that are going on at Calvary Santa Cruz is because God put it on somebody's heart and someone came up to me and said, you know what we need? We need a college and career group. Okay. The following Monday, we had a college and career group. Somebody comes up and says, you know, we really need a women's Bible. All right. Someone comes up. And you know what? But remember that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. So if you come up and ask me about it, you might just get put in charge of it. So be ready for that, right? I mean, that's what happens. And so we see there that the that he's being called by God, and he says, these are the things that I'm going to have you do. And he's going to raise up alongside him an assistant. He says, and indeed, verse 6, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, Aholiab, his name means the tent of the father, and I think it's interesting that his name from birth meant the tent of the father, and now he's going to work on the construction of the father's tent. I like that. I love how God, nothing happens in God's word by chance. Nothing. Put on the heart of the parents when they were naming their son, and he grows up to be just that man. He's called by God to assist in the building. Now, it says they're gifted artisans, craftsmen, carpenters, garment makers. But I love the fact that it says that these guys were gifted. They, were, they had these gifts, but they were appointed again. By whom? By God. You can have all the gifts in the world, but we must again have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing. Mere human ability is insufficient for the task. You know, it blows my mind, I hear this every once in a while, that there'll be a church that goes out and hires a bunch of professional musicians who are not saved to come lead worship. I'm like, what? That's like going down to Toastmasters and hiring a guy to come in and teach the Bible. I mean, how can you, how can you lead people into a place that you've never been yourself? You cannot take people to a place you have not been yourself. You must, be, you, cannot, you must minister to the Lord before you can minister for the Lord. And we see that this calling is evident and clear, and it's God that calls people into ministry. When you're in the place of ministry, the place that God has called you to be, I want to tell you something. It will be a joy. It will be a get-to and not a have-to. It really will. It will be, I get to do this? What a blessing. What a joy it is to be able to serve the creator of the universe. I can't believe that God lets me do this. You know, I, I'm not calling Ken during the week and making sure that he's practicing or Mike. Hey guys, make sure you practice worship. How's it work? I know they're called. I know they're gifted. I know they're going to do it. I don't even have to think about it. And I know that for them, it's a joy. It's a get to and not a have to. I know that for people who come and set up chairs and people who do the bookstore, I've ne- I get here an hour early and that bookstore is all set up and ready to go and man, it looks great. That's calling. Amen? And people who do it, it's a get-to, it's a joy, it's not a drudgery. If you're doing things out of compulsion, stop. Amen? If you're doing it to make some man happy, don't do it anymore. But if you're doing it for the Lord, it will be just a joy. It will be a privilege. It will be truly a get-to. Remember this too, that you need to be content where God has you. Because if, if you're not content now, you won't be content when you move. People move out of discontentment. Contentment doesn't come from your circumstances. Contentment comes from walking in the center of God's will and just trusting Him. Oh, if I go over there, if I get married, if I have kids, if I get a promotion, if I... And we think the contentment's going to come from something else. I want you to know that contentment comes from just drawing near to our Savior and having a personal, intimate relationship with Him, and the rest of the stuff, He'll take care of it. Amen? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, it says there at the end of verse 6, it says... Gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. And I love that. He says, these guys, now remember, this is, he's still telling them all the things they're going to make. And it must have blown his mind. Can you imagine getting the instructions for the tabernacle? And these are all the things you need to make. The golden lampstand. Can you imagine making a big golden lampstand out of one piece, in one piece and making it perfect? You better be a gifted artisan. But it says here that they will make all that I have commanded. And the reason, and I love the fact that anything that God commands, He will provide the resources to fulfill it. He provided the materials, He provided the craftsmen, He provided the priests, and He brought them all together by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? That's what's happened here in Santa Cruz. We're a brand new church. And you know what? I love the way God just keeps raising people up and bringing people in to do the work of the ministry. You're all valuable. God brought you here for a reason. He wants to use you for His glory. And you know what? 
most of you know this already, I love to stretch people. I love to stretch people. I love it when someone's like, oh man, I've never done that before. Oh good, it's right about time to do it. Oh, I'm scared to death. Oh, that's a good way to be. Because you know what? If you're scared and you're nervous and you're worried, it's because you know that without Him you can do nothing, and that's a good thing. Amen? If you're getting stretched, that means praise God. If you go, man, dude, I can do it. No sweat. I'm all over that. I don't want you. You know what I mean? Because we need to be, you know, oh, Lord, help. That's a good place to be. Lord, I'm desperate for you. Oh, that's good. I like that. And you know what? That was the prayer of Peter when he was sinking in the water. And that needs to be our prayer all the time. Help. And so we see these guys, they're being anointed by God to do the practical ministry. And if they're not obedient to do it, there's no tabernacle. If there's no tabernacle, there's no Holy of Holies. And if there's no Holy of Holies, there's no Shekinah glory of Almighty God residing there. So it must begin by making the tent. It's got to begin by someone making that bronze altar. It's got to have people who are willing to be faithful and obedient to do what God has called them to do. Verse 7 through 11. The tab- it says, if I command you, the tabernacle of meeting, they're going to build that, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it. And all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the labyrinth and its base, the garments of the ministry, the holy garments of Aaron, for Aaron and the priest and the garments of his son to minister as priest, and the anointing oil, the sweet incense of the holy place, and according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do." I love how God sees our calling as a finished product. You know, it says in the Bible, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And he said that before they were born. Now, some people say, oh, that's predestination and God, you know, chooses to hate something. No, that's not it. Here's the thing. God knows what we're going to be before we ever are. Amen? He knows the beginning from the end and he already sees his finished product in you. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He already knows what you're going to be when you're done. Praise God for that. I'm so thankful. And it says here, they will do. It's going to be finished. And again, huge job, but it's not if you've got men and women called by God who are obedient to that anointing of the Holy Spirit to do that ministry. Now, if I had to come down here by myself on Sunday morning and set up all the chairs and set up the sound and lead worship, everybody would leave after worship, so that would be the end of that. But lead worship and then go teach the children's ministry, game over. It would never happen. Nobody would come back twice. I'd probably quit, right? I mean, there's just no way. But what happens is you take a body of believers called by God, obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and God does great and awesome things. God, again, who created the universe, he could have, couldn't he have just spoke and made all these things? Couldn't he have just said, golden lampstand? I mean, if he said, you, you know, let there be light, and I'm talking the stars in the sky's light, everything, and boom, like that. Could he say golden lampstand and make one? Of course he could. Could he open up the sky and give the gospel to everybody? All right, guys, this is a test. Last chance. I'm coming in about four hours, Right? I am, the, I am God, believe in me, and you will have eternal life. If you don't, you're going to hell. Everybody come to me who wants to be saved. He could, could he do that? Of course he could. But you know what he does instead? He brings artisans to build the golden lampstand. Why? Because he wants to use us for his glory. What a privilege. And you know what? He doesn't open up the sky and speak. He speaks through you to your coworkers. He speaks through you to the people in your neighborhood. He speaks to you to the people in your family. He uses you to be like Andrew on Sunday that we talked about in Philip, saying, come and see all the great things my God has done. To invite people to church, to be contagious to a world that's around you. He not only saves us, but then he uses us. What an incredible blessing. He could do it himself, but he chooses to use men like men and women like you and me in every phase of ministry from making the the uh, incense to building the ark itself so we see that that it's anointing that is necessary but now i want you to see the source of the anointing okay and again this word gets misused all the time you know anointing is not something you command or you make no it's not it okay all these guys on tv throwing that word around and using the word faith and no that ain't it here's the thing I want you to see clearly how are you gifted by God and where does that anointing from God come from to be used in ministry. Let's take a look at these last seven verses at the source of the anointing. Verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, 
Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you, you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Verse 13, 14. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the rest. Of rest, excuse me. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. Now, doesn't this seem totally out of place? He's just spent the last seven chapters instructing them on how to build the tabernacle. These are the priestly garments. This is how you build it. Then I'm going to call people. These are the guys I want you to go, and I want you to enlist these guys. They're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to be faithful. And then he's getting ready to go down from the mountain. It's been 40 days. He's going back to his people. And the last thing he says to them is, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. What has that got to do with making a golden lampstand? What's that got to do with getting gifted artisans? Why in the world would he tell them to remember the Sabbath, his last words before he left to the people? Why does he reiterate this point? Here's why. They've got their marching orders. They've got the material, they'll have the materials they need, the tools they need, the craftsmen they need, the plans they need. And again, the problem is that there's a tendency for us to fall into the trap of just working the plan and forgetting about what's really important. What's really important in our walk? It's not doing ministry. Sometimes we can say, oh, here's the plan. It's been all laid out. Here's the things I'm supposed to do. Here's the rituals I do. Here's the way that I do it. Here's the, it's all set. It's ready to go. I just have to obey. But there's something that's very important, and it's the source of where that gifting and anointing comes from. And what is it? It's intimacy with God. We cannot minister for the Lord until we've ministered to the Lord. Amen? And so he's getting ready to go back down from the mountain. He says, remember the Sabbath. Remember to set aside time to come and draw near to me. You know what? We can get so busy that we run out of time for God. How many of you have ever been guilty of that? Raise your hand and my hand is up. You get so busy. Well, Lord, you know, I just don't have time for you right now. Wait a minute. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he's saying, don't forget the Sabbath. Whoever works on the Sabbath, it says there, will be put to death. That's pretty harsh. Go to work on Saturday, you're dead. Oh, I'm not going to work on Saturday. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? So he's saying to him, I want you to remember to have an intimate relationship with me. I want you to remember to spend time in my presence. Before you get up and lead worship, before you have all the practices that you have during the week to prepare for worship, I want you to spend time in my presence. Because you can't take people to a place you've never been yourself. Before you come early and set up the bookstore, make sure you spent time with me so when someone comes and has a question, you can minister to, to them from your heart. Before you come and fold bulletins and hand them out to people at the door, make sure that you spent intimate time with me so when that person comes, you've got the love of God and the Holy Spirit is just pouring out of you and you're contagious to the world around you. We've got to spend intimate time with Him where we can be no use to the world that is around us. Now, I, I think it's interesting, too, that we need to be resting in Him and ministering to Him. We must first, again, minister to the Lord before we can minister for the Lord. Remember what happened to Moses when he went up on the mountain and he met the Lord? Do you remember what happened? He came down and what he had to do to his face? Who remembers? He had to put a veil over his face. Why? Because the guy was glowing in the dark for Jesus. That's a fact. It's in the Bible. The guy was glowing. And you know what? I've seen that glow on people. Not literally, but I've seen people who are so in love with the Lord that you just see it. You talk to them for two minutes, you're like, dude, you're saved, huh? Oh, yeah. How'd you know? You got Jesus all over you, man. You're just glowing in the dark, bro. You got such a love for God. It's so evident. And you know what? That should be our heart. We gotta, but we got to spend time near him to be a representation of him. Amen. We want to be like Christ. We've got to spend time in His presence. And He's saying, look, you've got this mighty task in front of you. I've given you all the plans. It's all ready to go. I've got everybody lined up. It's going to be completed. But don't forget to spend time with me. Don't forget to draw near to me. Don't get so busy building the tabernacle or the, you know, itself or building the, the furnishings that you forget to stop and draw near to me and spend time in my presence. That's one of the things I pray that we will never do as a body, is we will never forget 
to draw near to God, that we would make just intimate time with Him. I want to encourage you guys, if you're only eating on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, you're going to starve. You know, the Bible says that we're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. Amen? And so we need to be opening this thing up every single day. Spend time in His presence. Open it up. You know what I find? The hardest part about devotions is opening the Bible. How many of you agree with that? Don't you, once you get it open, aren't you just totally blessed? You say, oh, I'll spend 10 minutes, and 45 minutes later, you're still in the Word, right? But it, to me, it was like when I used to be in a bodybuilding. I know, looking at me, you'd never believe it. But I used to be in a bodybuilding, and, and the hardest part was getting to the gym. But once I got there, I loved working out. And the same is true with God's Word. You've got to just crack it open. Set aside a time and say, Lord, I'm going to begin my day with you. I'm going to spend my day with you, and I'm going to end my day with you. Lord, I'm going to open up your word first. I'm going to draw near to you. And if you do that, you watch. God will give you opportunities to use what he's, the gifts that he's given you. The time of, of construction can be a time of distraction. So involved in doing ministry that we get our eyes off of God. Trusting programs, rituals, and just going through the motions. Can I encourage you with something? May we not go through the motions when we worship. Amen? You know what? You want an idea what heaven's going to be like? We're not going to be reading the Bible in heaven. How many of you know that? We're not going to need it because the Word's going to be right there. Amen? Jesus Christ. You're not going to be evangelizing your faith because everybody there is already going to be saved. Amen? I mean, you're not going to be... But what are you going to do in heaven? You're going to worship. Amen? It's one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. And I would love to see us not be so reserved. Do you love Jesus, you guys? Do you love Him? Do you love them? That was kind of weak. Do you love them? Yeah. Amen. Okay, so if we love the Lord, shouldn't we be excited about it? You go to a Niner game, oh, right? You do that kind of stuff, right? We're fanatics for the Niners. We jump up and down with the Raiders, whatever it might be. But man, shouldn't we be excited about the Lord? Don't you just love Him? And don't you, man, and so when we worship, let's, let's tell Him that we love Him. Not, yeah, Lord, I lift your name. Yeah, stop it. <laughs> worship. Amen? Draw near to Him. Be excited about it. But that's not going to happen if we don't spend time in His presence. It's going to become ritual. It's going to become mundane. We're going to just be going through the motions. And you know what? I pray, Lord, don't let us go through the motions. Let us be in love with you. So in love with you that we're unashamed to let the world around us know how much we love you. Verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now the word there for Sabbath, and I want you to see this. It says the Sabbath is a sign between the Lord and the children of Israel. The children of Israel is not the church. Amen? The children of Israel is the children of Israel. Amazing how that works, right? But people try to make it the church. It's not the church. It's the Jewish people. So guess what? The Sabbath is not now, nor was it ever, for the church. Now, I, and I'm going to clarify this in a minute, so don't get everybody start getting all squirreling. Wait a minute, you just said we need to spend intimate time with God. Yes, we do. But we don't have these religious rituals and laws that say, this is the time when we rest with the Lord. And it's from this time to this time. And that was in the Old Testament. It's the only of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament, and it's never pointed to the church. Now, interestingly enough, we're meeting at the Seventh-day Adventist school, who their whole church is built on keeping the Sabbath, but God bless them. We love them anyway. It's okay. But the other mark was circumcision. So they had two things that were marks, keeping of the Sabbath and circumcision. And it was a definite covenant between God and the nation of Israel. It was not for Gentiles. Paul even referred to it as this. It is a yoke of bondage, he said. Remember, you guys that have been here as we've been going through the Gospels, remember just how heavy-duty the Sabbath got? We're going to see this again in John, how they get all over Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And remember how they turned the Sabbath into the most bummer day of the week? You know, instead of it being a day of rest and a day of rejoicing, everybody was scared to do anything because they were going to break the Sabbath, right? They had taken the, the Sabbath laws that had been given to them by God and they had added tons more. And all the priests of the day said, you know, you can't take a bath on the Sabbath. Because if you take a bath, water might spill out on the floor, and that would be washing the floor, and that would be work, so no bathing on the Sabbath. So everybody gets to stink on the Sabbath. That's the deal, right? Day of rest, can't wash, okay? You also cannot wear your false teeth on the Sabbath. 
Because you got false teeth, that would be carrying a load. So you got to take your teeth out on the Sabbath. So you got to stink and you can't eat either. You'd be gnawing your food, right? You can't walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. You can't, you know, they, I mean, it just laws, laws, rules, rules. Everybody just sit around the Sabbath. Right? Now, does that sound like a day of rest to you? Paul said it was a yoke of bondage. They were scared to death of the Sabbath. And sadly, the, Jew, the Jews still follow the Sabbath today, and it's still very much the same way. And I want to say this. There's three categories of people that live today. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, and there's the church. It says in Colossians 3.11, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So I'll be honest with you. I struggle with people that have a Jewish heritage and are still hanging on to that when they become Christians. Or, or hanging on to any kind of heritage when you become a Christian. You know what? I'm Scottish, English, Irish, German, French, Italian, and American Indian. I'm a mess, okay? But can you, you know, I, I, I'm partially American Indian, and it blows me away. People that are Christians, and they still want to do their American Indian stuff. Blow that off. You're a new creation in Christ, amen? That's my heritage. Here's my heritage. You want to see my lineage? This is it right here, amen? This is what I'm about. I'm a, I'm a child of the king. I've been adopted into God's family. And sadly, people get all caught up in heritage instead of being caught up in the kingdom of God and who we are in Christ. Born again. We're His kids. Does it get any better than that? And, and so you have Jews, unsafe people, Gentiles, unsafe people, and the church. And you're one of those three. Now the Jewish Sabbath did what? It was to signify to them that they would one day rest in Him. And here's the thing that has happened. When Jesus died on the cross... We entered into His rest. Amen? We're in His rest right now. Wednesday night, in His rest. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, we have entered into His rest. We have peace. Fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. And we have that because we've entered into Him. Our Savior is our rest, and we now rest in Him. It says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You come to Him heavy and burdened, and when you give your life to Jesus Christ, He takes that yoke upon Himself. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. A yoke is where they take two animals and they yoke them together. And typically the stronger of the two animals is pulling all the weight. And the reality is that God's just taking us along. He's pulling all the weight. Amen? His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He is our rest. Our rest is in Him. Through his sacrifice on the cross, his death and his burial, we entered into a Sabbath rest. And you know what? The Jews have yet to discover. Even though they stay in bed and pray on what they call Shabbat, they still have missed it. Now most of you know I was just in Israel. And there was, they took us to this real orthodox section of Israel. And everybody, man, it looked like the Pharisees walking around. They all got the hats and the long robes and the curly things and the long hair. And, the, and they're all walking around. He said, man, if you come in here on Shabbat driving a car, they'll stone your car. Because they keep the Shabbat. And here's what's sad, is they keep the Shabbat, but they miss the Savior. Amen? They're they, they looking for the Messiah, but He's already come. Now, should we pray for the Jews? Absolutely. The Bible tells us to. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that God will bring revival. We know that many Jews in the end, during the tribulation, will get saved. Many of them. Praise God for that. But the reality is that some people go to the extreme of saying, oh yeah, man, I agree with where the Jews are at right now. I don't. They're in rebellion to God. Amen? They're in rebellion. And we have entered into the Sabbath rest. We're in His rest all the time. Now you might say, well, and it says this in Mark, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It says in Colossians, let no man judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths. Romans 14 says, one person esteems one day above another. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. We're not to dispute over which day we meet, as ultimately every day belongs to the Lord. I don't dispute with the seven-day Adventists. They want to meet on Saturday. That's fine. You know what? If our church continues to grow and someday we're blowing out of this building and we need another service, we might have one on Saturday night. Why? Because every day is the Lord's day. Amen? But why does the church meet on Sunday? Have you ever thought about that? Let me tell you why. Most Christian churches meet on Sunday for this reason. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Amen? On Saturday, He was crucified on Friday. He was in the grave on Saturday, and he rose from the dead on Sunday. When did the Holy Spirit get poured out 
on the church in Acts chapter 2. What day of the week was it? It was Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. The Holy Spirit was poured out on Sunday. When did the first century church meet? On Sunday. Now, we, again, we don't have to esteem any day greater than another. You can meet anytime you want, anywhere you want. The veil's been torn. We can enter that holy place. But that's the reason most churches meet on Sunday. But we're not dogmatic about it. If someone wants to meet on Saturday, God bless them. That's great. Are you guys worshiping the Lord? Then praise the Lord. That's fine. But if someone says, you must worship on this day, or you've you got the mark of the beast, well, I think we've missed it. Amen? It's all about understanding who our Savior is and entering in to his rest. I want to say one last thing about these two verses. We're almost done. These verses are also more proof of a literal six-day creation. Because look what it says there. It says in verse 17, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. He just told them, I want you to have six days of work and one day of rest. And then he says, And I created everything in six days, heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day I rested. The word for day in both these places is exactly the same. And you know what? Theistic evolution does not work. That means people who think that God created the heavens and the earth but somehow used an evolutionary form doesn't work. Let me tell you why it doesn't work. First of all, for there to be evolution, it's survival of the fittest, right? And for that to happen, there must be death. But there was no death until Adam and Eve sinned. And Adam and Eve was 6,000 years ago, guys. So guess what? No theistic evolution. God didn't just, you know, throw it out there and just let it all happen by chance. That's not the God that we serve. Amen? He had a hand on every single bit of it, and it's still in his hand right now. And if you let go for a nanosecond, it'd be game over. Our God is the creator. Our God is in control. And again, it was six literal days of creation. So what is the, the source of this anointing? It's intimacy with the Savior. It's entering into His rest. And it's walking in obedience directed by the Holy Spirit. Last verse, verse 18. And when He had made an end of speaking with Him on Mount Sinai, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, He gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So He hands him the Ten Commandments. He's been up there 40 days and 40 nights, and He's going to start marching down the mountain. Can you imagine how Moses must have felt. Moses must have been absolutely pumped. Can you imagine spending 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the Almighty God? And then He gives you the plan for your people. You've, you've watched Him deliver them out of bondage. You've crossed over the Red Sea. You've seen God's great provision. And now He says, I'm going to build a tabernacle. And these are the guys who are going to do it. And here's how it's going to happen. And I want you to go down there. And you know what? Remember to worship me. And guess what's going to happen when He gets down at the bottom of the mountain next week? What happens? Who remembers? What are they doing? They're worshiping a golden calf. Aaron and Hur that were holding up his hands when he fought the Amalekites. Same two guys, right? Same two guys, called by God. High pre- and they're, and they're going to be making a golden calf because he's been up on the mountain for 40 days. 40 days? He's never coming back, man. We're just, no, you know. They, the Almighty God, the Shekinah glory of God, there was, the earth had quaked. They'd seen God do mighty and awesome things. 40 days. Never coming back. Let's make a God. And then when Moses comes down, we'll see this next week, Aaron goes, yeah, we threw gold in there, and this big calf just popped out of there. Amazing. But it's amazing that we can grow impatient. You know, we can say, oh, Lord, but I've been waiting for you to do something mighty. And, Lord, I've been praying, and, Lord, you just haven't moved, so I'm going to move myself. And that's what the people did. What a blessing that many of them are going to miss out on because we know the ground's going to open up and swallow them all up. So the reality is, we need to know that the anointing comes from drawing near to God. That God anoints us for practical ministry. He wants to use everybody in this room. You pray and say, Lord, how do you want to use me? I promise you, he'll show you. Pray and say, Lord, just give me an opportunity. You know, one of the things I do is every day, most of you guys know I still work full time for the time being. I pray for every customer I'm going to go see that day by name. And I pray for an opportunity to share my faith with them, to encourage them if they know the Lord, to share the Lord with them if they don't. One of my customers was here on Sunday and she gave her life to the Lord, her and her daughter. God, praise the Lord, amen? But you know what? You pray and ask for opportunities and watch what's going to happen. Pray for your neighbors by name. Watch what's going to happen. Pray that God would show you the gift that he's given you and I promise he will use you in a might. You think God's sitting up there not wanting to use you? If he didn't want to use you, he'd do it himself. 
He wants to use you desperately. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, searching for one he can show himself strong on account of. He's looking for one like Jonathan who says, I'll go fight the whole Philistine army all by myself. And what happened? Philistines got smoked. One guy. David said, I'll fight Goliath. I don't care if he is 11 foot 750 and I'm, you know, I'm delivering cheese to my brothers and I'm a little scrawny guy. I just see a man against the creator of the universe and that guy's got no chance. God's looking for David's. He's looking for Jonathan's. He's looking for people who step up and say, Lord, I just want you to use me. Lord, I'm going to be available. Lord, show me what you want me to do. And and if it begins with practical ministry, just be faithful right there. And I'll tell you that God will use you. So uh, Michael, come on up and Fred. Anointed for practical ministry. All fruitful ministry requires responding to God's calling and walking in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Anointing comes from an intimate relationship with the Lord and resting completely in Him. So my question to you guys is this. What is God calling you to do? What is He calling you to do? Whatever He's calling you... Let that be your prayer this week. Go home and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe He just wants you to keep doing what you're already doing. You're already being obedient. But you know what? You be faithful in the small things and God will use you in even greater things. God saved you to use you for His glory. Respond to Him and know that whatever He calls you to do, He'll equip you to fulfill that calling. So praise God. I love that this chapter is here to encourage those of you who are doing the practical stuff to know that God has called you to do that, He's anointed you to do that, and He's going to use it for His glory. And the reward for setting up the chairs is just as great as going out and and doing a Billy Graham crusade. I believe if we're obedient to what we're called to do, God will bless us for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that as we look at the construction of the tabernacle, the Father God, every bit of it points to you. The altar of sacrifice, what a picture of our Savior. The bronze laver of cleansing, a picture of our Savior. The light of the world, the picture of our Savior. Just every bit of it, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you use the hands of men to build it. And we thank you, Lord, that you want to use our hands today. That you desire, Father God, to take people like us who are fallible, people who've blown it, people who are sinners in need of a Savior, and yet you'll use us for your glory. So, Father, I just ask, Lord, you would make each one of our callings clear. And, Father God, that we would just respond in obedience, even if there's fear, Father God, to know that you will go before us, you'll go with us. You're such a great and an awesome God. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. And I pray that that our worship time right now would just be sweet in your presence. So we would just tell you that we love you from the depths of our hearts, Lord. May we bring a smile to your face. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.